Before I leave you to enjoy the episode, I'm going to ask you for a very small favor. Please tell your friends about the show and help me help as many men as possible with their mental health. Now, I know they might not be able to speak up or ask for help, but maybe, just maybe, by listening to these remarkable stories, something will resonate with them. I truly appreciate your support on this, and thank you for listening. to a new episode of Don't Be a Man About It. Today, my guest is a keynote speaker, hypnotherapist, and a wonderful, wonderful man that I keep learning from. And I'm so excited to have him here on the show. Dave, hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm very good. How are you? I'm always good. Even when I'm not good, I say I'm good because it's self-talk. <laughs> if you tell yourself I'm having a bad day, your brain is a supercomputer. So it looks for more evidence to prove that whatever the boss has said is true. So if you say I'm having a terrible day, it's like it says, right, we're having a terrible day. Look for evidence. It's a terrible day. But if you say I'm having a great day, it goes, really? Okay, we're having a great day. Look for evidence to support the great day. <laughs> and before you know it, in a very short amount of time, you start noticing great things happening, or at least you stop noticing the horrible things because they're clearly not of interest. So it's a lot about the programming that you put into your own head that affects the world outside and the people that you interact with when you can affect them anyway. I totally agree. I totally agree on that. And you do it the way you are. Um, you start attracting abundance, opportunities, open doors, uh, lots of good people your way. So, Well, here's the thing. I, I'm not a big one on attraction. I've read no a lot way. about it. I've seen the secret. I think I'm it's a on attraction. <laughs> here's how I think it works. You've got a thing in your brain called the reticular activatory system, and it notices things. So when it's interested in things, it creates images, and you look for more evidence of that. Okay. So if you're interested in a certain thing, your brain, which is working like a million times to the second or whatever that number is, is calculating and trying to find things that you're interested in. That's why vision boards work. So if you're interested in something, it will find more evidence of it for you. So, for instance, the people say I'm attracting money, but deep down in their subconscious mind, because it's your subconscious mind that drives this ability to look for stuff. So if you're thinking I'm not worth it and money hates me, but I'm looking for money, you're actually just sending a negative out saying that reject it, reject it, reject it. Even on the surface, maybe I really want it below the surface. You're going, no, I don't deserve it. I shouldn't have it. So you've got to learn to be really strong in the communication you have with yourself. And I find the best way to do that is to have a really good sense of humor. So I laugh at myself all the time and I'm my own best mate. And I find things <laughs> hilarious that some people that. would be offended by. And, and it just, that, that ongoing discipline, that ongoing conversation leaves me at peace to just be direct to myself. And so it's much easier to see and, and manifest or get access to the things I'm really interested in. Okay, before, because there's a question that I always ask my guests before we start the show, but I want to follow up on this point. What happens or what is it basically? So there are a lot of people who say, I am a great abundant person. And I, I say that about myself, where I am able to attract and make things work in anything I want. But there will be only one area or one aspect that you, you're not able to attract it. So is that because of the way we communicate with ourselves or is it related to the wrong mindset blocks or belief system? I have no idea. You've just said to me, how does voodoo work, Dave? And the answer is, I don't know. Maybe some of it's made up. I don't know the answer to that. And it's not because I don't know a lot of answers. It's because you've just given me a very specific rule on something that I'm not completely bought into. And so all I can say is, from a scientific point of view, these do work out a certain way. I mean, look at, look at, for instance, from civilization, man's always started at one end with, with, with magic and religion and, and, and belief systems, and at the other end of science, and the two come closer together to close together, close together, and then eventually we start going, oh, science can explain that, science can explain it. And people still say, no, no, magic, magic. No, it's not magic, honestly. If, if you burp, it's because you had too much Coca-Cola. No, it's burp from the heavens. No, trust me, it was, a, it was created by the, the bicarbonate soda. Stop drinking Coke. So there is an ongoing relationship between science and 
and spiritualism. And I'm not saying spiritualism is wrong at all. I think it's very important to have. I think belief systems are very important. If we didn't have any belief systems, the world would go out and kill itself. And it would. If you look at all the challenges that we've had in the US this year, for instance, with Black Lives Matters and the elections and everything else, there's a very thin veneer that stopped it turning into civil war. And that's belief in a higher power. Every single person that goes a little bit crazy on the old politics turns around and says, God is with me. Now, supposing they didn't believe that God is with them. Supposing they just said, you know what, this is me on my own, and I'm going to go and get what I want. That would be a very bad thing across the planet. So I completely understand and would infuse as to why people need to have a spiritual system, because people go bonkers otherwise. Think about it. I mean, even from a Christian point of view, and I don't buy into any of them, but I see reasons why they're there. When I was growing up and I used to read about the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife and all this other stuff. You, you think this is so obvious. Why does anybody need to tell me? Exactly. But right now you do need to tell people that because they don't believe it and they have to have a belief in something bigger than them. They need to have faith that later on they'll get their hands slapped because they don't believe anybody around them can slap it. So it makes perfect sense to keep it. So now let's refer back to your original question. And the answer is... <laughs> I like that. All right. So the second one, even though I kind of predict what your answer would be, but how is your heart... You did not predict me going like that. So that's for sure. No, I did not see that coming, but I like it. So how is your heart doing? My heart? Yes. Why would you ask about that? Because how are you seems to be a very general question and how asking about someone's heart is very uh, unrelated yeah, and very... You're right. I wasn't thinking about that because nobody's ever asked me that question probably in my life. Maybe if I was to check on my heart, then I could tell you that it's definitely going. Otherwise, I would be a rotting corpse. I would smell badly. And having been a big fan of watching The Walking Dead today, uh, <laughs> that's not a bad thing. But... As for the rest of it, there's so much that's underneath what your heart generates. Um, I mean, it's like, for instance, when we talk about brain, you know, how many brains do you have? One. One, <laughs> right, okay, so good question. Right, we have at least three brains. We all know about in here, mm -hmm. your heart okay. is a brain because it drives your relationship with people around you. And it makes your decision-making very much based on, on relationship decision-making. That's your logical brain. That's your emotional brain. And your gut is also about your relationship with the outside world. Because your brain here might tell you, yeah, this is all right. But your gut tells you, no, there's something about it that's not quite right. And you go with your gut. And top leaders go with their gut. It's part of emotional intelligence. So we actually have three different brains and they're all li li linked. So if you were to chop me up right now, which I hope you don't, uh, and we're on Zoom anyway, so you couldn't, um, you would see that literally they're all linked together with different pathways, which makes it very interesting. But it's like asking a question, how many senses do you have? How many senses do you have? Six. Right, no, you've got about 25, 26. Oh God, oh God. Well, let me put it in perspective. So you <laughs> name your six. I'm very ignorant today. <laughs> Name your six, and you're not allowed to say the sixth sense from that movie. Your ability to see dead people. The sixth sense. I have it. Okay, so you can see dead people. I do. And I talk to them as well. <laughs> Good. Wow. So much credibility involved in today's interview. So let's go on about the other senses, right? How do you, which sense covers love? Which sense covers pain? Hmm. Which sense covers temperature? Okay. Which sense covers feeling a bit sick? Which sense covers jealousy? Which sense covers panic? These are all real senses. You really do feel these. So we have about 20, 25. I don't even know where this five senses bit came from, but it's clearly not true. So there we go. Next question. It's very interesting. Google it. How many senses do we have? I won't Google it now because it makes a very boring show. If Dave sits say, what's Dave doing now? He's Googling stuff. Oh, look at that. Wonder Woman comes out at Christmas Day. That's interesting. <laughs> Nobody wants to see me do that. So yeah, but it, have a look at it. It's interesting. I will, I will. So you said that mind, but, uh, heart and guts should be aligned to make better decisions. 
Do you think they do align? They do align anyway, whether we believe it or not. They actually do. We do lose the balance between them, don't you think? Oh, it depends. I mean, like they're not always aligned, are they? Well, no, but like anything, I mean, it's like somebody who's overweight, you know, and they don't, and they, they gorge on food and then they starve themselves when they feel guilty. They're not aligned with getting fit, but it doesn't mean the system's not working for them. It's just not working particularly well. So, for instance, if you've got a partner that you keep going back to every time again and you go out with somebody else who's just like them, your brain is saying, don't do it, but your heart's going, but I love that person. So they're not always aligned. But then again, if you turn around and you fall in love with somebody and your brain says they're really bad for me, I'm saying, right, I'm not going to go home anymore. Then does that mean that you're right to not do it because your heart tells you that it's a good thing? So it's, it's a combination. It really depends. I think it comes down to when you're making clear decisions that are very important for you, just being able to, to acknowledge what each part of you is telling you so you can come to the best conclusion possible and then stick with it. But also that comes from being aware and peaceful with yourself internally so you could be able to do that decision. So my question yeah, here, I think so. do you think men are emotionally intelligent as much as women because scientifically it's proven that women are more emotionally intelligent we're rubbish we have got no idea what's going on we just haven't but that's not our fault we have if you put a pet scan on our brains and you look at what lights up under dif different circumstances we just don't get excited by the things that women get excited about we just don't oh, we I don't see it we don't understand it we don't know why that should be important but if you look at it from from the cavemen days and the way that we were generated and the problem that we've got nowadays in society is the fact that we're looking at what how we are made and saying that's wrong. It's not wrong. It's just that if you want to adapt to what we have now, you're going to have to compensate for it. So men were hunters. Men were going out in silence with a spear or a bow and arrow to bring back food in silence. And we'd all indicate what was going on. And that's what we'd do. The women would stay back, look after the kids um, and go out and gather berries and nuts and stuff and cook and look after the stuff back home. Now there's Plenty of proof of why that's very important, not in necessarily today's business world or whatever. But for instance, one of the things that happens is when men go out together to have fun together, we can sit in a bar in the days we used to sit in a bar, watch the football and say nothing all night. And that was a great night. Why? Because that's how we used to hunt. That's a bonding process for men. So when I go back to talk to my wife, how is John? He's all right. So what happened? Nothing. Nothing. Well, didn't he talk about his wife? No. Well, what, didn't, what, what, what happened? Well, nothing. Well, why didn't you ask about his wife? Why, why should I ask him? He would have said something that was a problem. So what did he talk about? Nothing. Watch football. So he didn't talk he about his wife. He didn't talk about anything. Yeah. It was a great night out. Whereas if you look at the difference between the, what women do, I don't understand soap operas. I don't understand gossip. I get no joy. I just go, okay, tell me when I've got to react to it. And then I'll just say something or I won't react if you don't want me to. And I'll just listen. And that's because my brain doesn't light up in the same way as yours does over certain things. Now, one of the things that makes you very successful in what you do is you are able to cross over and understand by putting the way you see the world onto the way that men see it to come up with insights that they wouldn't get. But we are wide different and it is a very good thing. That's, I, I love the example you just gave about talking about events or going out because every time I ask, I have a lot of male friends and whenever we speak about something, they say, yeah, it was okay, it was fine, not bad. Yeah, we have fun. Like, give me more details. <laughs> There are no details because we didn't notice anything. There was nothing going on. It was very functional. And so, I mean, my wife gets extra bored asking about it, but at the same time, there's a way that we're wired to, to do different things. So, I mean, if we go back to that original caveman stuff, when it comes to me getting ready to go out, supposing we're going out for dinner in the days we used to go out for dinner, and not because we don't get on, it's just purely because we don't really go out that much with COVID and so on. So I'd wear a pair of jeans, say a blue shirt and a pair of shoes. And she'd say, oh, those jeans and that shirt doesn't match. I'd go, well, they do match. I mean, it's not like my gut's hanging out. I look, they match. No, the blue doesn't match or that tie doesn't match if I wore a tie or something like that. And I'm thinking, well, it looks okay to me because in my world, with the amounts of color receptors I have in my eyes and registers, it seems like blue and blue. But if you go back to the cavemen days, 
The reason women have got such a brilliant look, I mean, look at the two of us. I've got, the only reason I've got any interesting colors on me at all is because I'm old. You've got makeup on and you're lovely or the rest of it. Different, different way of looking at the world. So women have different visual receptors of, of color. And so that's why they're able to, when they were looking after the kids, they look out in the cave and they'd see the brown of a floor, the brown of a bear, the brown of a tree, the brown of, 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 of a mountain, and they'd see the different browns because they had to know how to protect. They had to be able to see. We don't have that. What we've got is a zoom lens. So we are very single-minded. We'd go out hunting, whereas what they do is they've got a panoramic lens. So they can see the whole cave front. We don't, we have to zoom in and out to see it. So that means, for instance, if we're in the, in the kitchen and my wife say cooking, because she cooks better than me, I, I order in better than she does, but she cooks better than me. So if she turns around and says, right, can you go and get me the pepper? Because I'm, just, I'm not trying to help out. She thinks, oh, bless him, he's trying to help, but he's pathetic. So can you go get the pepper? So I'll say, okay, where is it? She goes, you don't know where the pepper is. No, I don't, give me a clue. Okay, in that cupboard. So I go over and open up the cupboard. I'm going, right. Peppers. <laughs> Give me a clue. Am I near it? Am I getting warmer? She goes, it's right in front of you. And I'm going, pepper, pepper, pepper. She goes, oh, forget it. I'll get it. And she'll get the pepper and she'll take it out. And why is that? Because she's got an ability to see the whole range and see the color difference of a different stuff. I'm zooming in and out trying to get it. So I don't see the whole panoramic view. So there's a lot of big differences between men and women. And that's just looking at the visual side. It's not even the, the personality side or the ability to make decisions side. Um, that's, it's all fascinating, but we are different. So everybody who says men and women are the same has got no idea. Anybody who tries to make men and women equal has got no idea. We're equally valid, but we're so different. Oh, wow, that's, that's a whole new, uh, different topic. For me, it's not about equality, it's about equity, which is something we could discuss later. So I totally agree with that. So that's really fascinating. So my question would be here, Dave, you are a hypnotherapist. Yeah. My question to you is, do you find it um, easier for men to be hypno hypnotized than women? Um, not particularly, but what I do find is most of my clients are female. And I find that when I'm doing my coaching to become industry experts as well, I think it's the same things you're reaching for now when you're talking about who's willing to, to reach out and make something different and recognize the fact that they need to go on and, and get something done to get an advantage in business or in a personal life. Men tend to have a stiff upper lip and they tend not to ask for help because it seems like a sign of weakness. And it's just the way that we're created. We're in a different world where, I mean, it's like, for instance, do you, you know, the British army many years ago used to wear red. Do you know why they used to wear red jackets? Because when they're going into battle against the enemy, the enemy would shoot at them. They couldn't tell that they were bleeding unless they dropped on the floor. So literally, they're going, oh, my goodness, nothing stops these guys. They're still walking. Now, they might be bleeding, but you couldn't tell because of our red jackets. And this is very similar to the challenges that men have. Now, we don't have natural reception to understand what's going on the same way as women do. We're just not wired that way. We can be shown how to understand it better. But it's really a challenge. I mean, one of my friends, Dr. John Gray, who wrote Men Are From Mars and Women Are From Venus, did a, a, when we're chatting about, we did an interview about it ages ago, and he's saying about the fact that he's had a lot of women that have been trained by him to understand the differences, men and women. And he said, look, this is amazing stuff. Can you please train my husband? Because this is like a caveman. He's got no idea at all what's really going on. Can you just spend some time? So he put together a course for all the men. So all the men, all the husbands came along. He taught them everything, all emotion, intelligence and, and feelings and understanding yourself and all the rest of it. Two months later, the women started coming back to him. Oh my goodness, I wish I'd never said anything. He cries all the time. He follows me around like a puppy, checking if I'm okay. And you know what? I don't even find him attractive anymore. I preferred him when he was a caveman, because now I feel like I've got another girlfriend in my husband, and that's not what I wanted in the first place. So be careful what you wish for. But that's also a sign, like I get where she's coming from, where she's coming from, but I do see it in a different way. Find that this man or her husband was bottling up a lot of emotions and unexpressed uh, situations that he has been going through mentally and emotionally. So when he let it out, it's it became so difficult to bottle it up again, and that would only be resolved with proper therapy. No, 
No, it's a good, no I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think so. I don't think so. Here's what I think. I think that he wasn't bottling anything up. He just wasn't aware of what women are like. And as soon as he became aware of what women are like, he's got a completely different scope of the world. I'm not talking about therapy. I'm not talking about bottling stuff up. I'm just talking about your normal day. So typically in my house, my, in my, house, my wife gets emotional and I'm pretty much stable. But I can get emotional as well. I don't know how to play it because, I mean, not just as a therapist, but as a human being, I get it. But I see many cases, my, most cases, my job is to snap back to normal faster because then I can keep us all safe. Now, that's sort of built into me. And it, it, it doesn't mean I don't notice other stuff. I just choose sometimes to just take a hit and, and snap out of it faster because I find it very hard when I go down that rabbit hole to come out of it in time to be productive. But I have no problem going into that rabbit hole when it feels like that's the right thing to do. So I won't waste my time trying to put up a brave fight when it just feels like, you know what, maybe you should have a good cry or maybe you should just spend some time on your own or maybe you should just click on Netflix, get some peanuts and just pour yourself a, a glass, of, a, a cup of tea. I was going to say that. Or a glass of wine. It's fine. <laughs> okay, good. Well, this is a this is a big cup full of wine then. There you go. <laughs> Um, Dave, for you to become the Dave Crane, the Dave Crane, um, there has to be a story behind it. What was the pain behind your success? All right, that's a good question. What do you think it was? I think it's a, it's a lot of things, but I would like to hear it from you. <laughs> I know, I'm not going to tell you. You're the expert. You tell me what you think it is. I'll tell you if you're right. Well, my story to share, no. <laughs> No, no, I'm asking you about your story. I want you to work out what mine is. Okay. I still want to hear it from you, though. <laughs> I know you do. So tell me. Hmm. Right, that was, a get, that was a get out. Here's the thing. And this is something I teach my daughter, 10-year-old Maya, how to profile people. And as a therapist, you know yourself, when you meet somebody, you profile to work out what's going on, what's not going on, and you put together building blocks because then you're able to make predictions. And then you're able to work out what they're saying might not be what they really mean because you understand there's a different person behind everything. So that's why I want to see what you are noticing. Okay, mine's dead simple. As you see, black guy, grew up, white areas, how are you going to survive? That's my story. That's the synopsis of the story. Pretty much. All right. You want to give us a chapter one? <laughs> well, no, because yes and no. Everything I am and everything I do is built on survival and learning tools and tricks and techniques to make me better at what I do so I can do what I do and survive better. So yeah. as a little black kid. Moment. Every one of us had that one moment where we knew that we had to change our lives. We had to do something about it so we could get this pain stop. What was your moment? I didn't have a moment. It was my entire life is like this. It's like, here, let me give you, let me divert us slightly to a different thing. Right now, there's a big race issue around the world. And people talk about institutional racism. And if you're not of color, You're going, no, this is a new thing. You're making up. There's no institutional racism. You're just trying to find, get some attention. But if you're of color, your entire life has been about dealing with institutional racism. And it's tiny microaggressions, tiny things. Like yesterday, I went shopping in Dubai. And Dubai is one of the most friendly places I've ever been in my life. I went to the counter to buy this T-shirt. And there's a white guy behind me. And the girl tried to serve him first. So that, that's an ongoing, all the time, used to it bit of life that I've had to come used to. Now, I'm sure that we could do a number of things about you being female, where you get offended or you can deal with it now, but there's little things that happen all the time where you're just going, yeah, but you'd never know that. You'd never see what they do when I walk past or what all the things they say to me, all those things. So there's a number of things at the heart of this as to who you are and how you decide to deal with it. My way of dealing with it was one of two things. I was either going to fight everybody, I was going to make them laugh. And I decided because I was short and there's nowhere I was going to hide, I might as well make them laugh in, in broad daylight. Where am I going to hide if I become a fighter? So um, that was pretty much my, my way of getting through everything. 
And I lived in Scotland, grew up in Scotland, then moved to the north of England, and then uh, went away to university, came back, lived in the north of England again, and then just decided I had enough and moved to Dubai, a brown country, where at least I'd feel that I wasn't like uh, sticking out like a sore thumb. Now, that's a potted version of the overview of what drives me. The actual interesting bits of how I did this and what happened then and all the rest of it, I don't see it as interesting. So, for instance, what made me want to work for the BBC? What made me win Blind Date on Christmas Day with 20 million people watching? What did I think when I took over running Dubai Rugby Sevens for 20 years and going out into a field in front of 50,000 people and about a billion watching with just a microphone for three days, knowing fine well that if they don't like anything I say, they'll throw cans of Heineken at me, like, like in 300 when the arrows come over, because I've seen them do it to other people. What would make me become a stage hypnotist? What would make me turn around in radio when I was at the top of my game and recognized by everybody and get stuff for free and just walk away and say, this is crap, I don't want to do it anymore. These are all different things that have happened. And I could go on meeting James Brown, working with Enrique, um, opening Planet Hollywood, all this stuff, stuff with big celebrities. There's a ton of different things, but they're all down to the same thing. There's a couple of rules I have in life. First of all, never lie to number one. And never lie to me, myself, ever about anything. If something's not right, it's not right. And I might try and see how far I can go. I've got a very good buffer for putting up with crap for a greater cause until I can't stand it anymore. And then I make a decision and that decision is final. And with friendships that I've had, I give people a ton of room until it gets to a point where I just can't give out room anymore and we're done. Don't come back. Don't talk to me. We're done. I don't care what happened or what you say. We are done. So my other thing is jump and grow wings on the way down. So I make a decision all the time that I can punch above my weight. I can get things done if I make a calculation that there's a little gap. I'm over here. I need to get to there. If I jump and work it out, I can probably land with my fingertips, lift myself up, and I'm ahead of the game. So, for instance, when I started doing these shows, on when I'm doing my show on the, on on all the different social media platforms, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I did enough homework to work out to know what I was doing. I also knew that, okay, I'm going live onto all these different platforms, but if I don't do it, somebody else is going to do it. And if they do it, then they're going to be recognized by everybody else as the first person to do it. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that I'm trying to score those points against anybody else, because I'm not, but I'm scoring those points against me. Once I know that's my challenge, I have to learn to do it. And when I have to learn to do it, it means that wherever I am, whatever I do, I can just flip the switch and change it. So as a result, I can just go like that and just flip it and I can go live onto Zoom and produce my own show like this. That's a choice of something that I had to learn how to do. But I'm going to snap it back now to this, which is just part and parcel of being a speaker. Um, but is it, was it easy to learn this? No. But I was asked the other day by somebody, somebody who's a very well-known in the industry um, speak, event, event manager for speakers. She said, can you come and do a chat with um, some really well-known famous speakers, like some of the biggest names on the planet? Because we've seen what it is you're doing here, and we'd like you to talk about how you're getting gigs around the world so our guys can work on it. And my answer was, no. No. I don't see you guys bending over backwards to say, Dave, come and join our gang. Let's put our resources together and introduce you to all our clients and all our different stages where we work. No, this is my time. I'm not saying it from a selfish point of view. I'm saying it from a business point of view. Because oh, as soon as we snap back to everything else, they just do what they do. They're going to be big demand. Not one of them will ever call me. I know that. I have to chase. And it's not because I'm not a particularly nice guy. It's because this is how the speaker business works. Now, does this mean I don't help people? Yes, I do. I help people all the time. That's value to me. I have to leave everybody better than they were before I met them. Now, if any of those speakers had come to me individually and said, Dave, can I talk to you? I would say, yes, no problem. Let's do this. I absolutely does that make sense? Of course it does. Of course it does. I'm listening to you and I was like, oh, wow. You, I resonated with a lot of things that you just said. Um, but the question that is coming to my mind is that, 
um, all of that that you just mentioned is coming from a high level of confidence and self-love to actually know your worth, know your value and never settle for less of that. What would you say to men who don't know how to love themselves and they are really self-sabotaging themselves, their success, their relationships, everything? What would you say to them or at least give them some advice on what to do? Well, I mean, it's about learning emotional well, how intelligence. How can we go from I am not good enough to where you are right now? Well, first of all, as I mentioned today, um, never lie to number one. Never lie to yourself about who you are. Also, if people don't like me, I couldn't give a shit. I really couldn't. If people don't like me, that's fine. You don't do business with me I then, do you? Everyone is capable of doing that. Do you know that? Well, no, they are capable of it, but they won't do it. They are capable of it, but they won't do it. Look, this is the world's smallest violin playing for the world not liking me very much. That's fine. But the world's not coming around my house and giving me money and food and hugs. The world is just ticking over and couldn't care less what's going on with me. If anything, I do my shows and go, hey, here I am. Oh, Dave's back again. So I think that what people, I mean, when I say what people should do, it's not true. It's what they can do. They've all got to find their own way. It's like being in a massive swimming pool where some people find it easy to just swim up and down. Some people tread water with no effort at all. Some people are constantly drowning after holding to other people. Some people are training others to swim. Some people have got life rafts. Some are just lying there and just drinking like a, a cocktail. Everyone's got their own way of staying afloat. And it's not easy. Treading water is not necessarily easy, but I've come to terms of a lot of different things. Like for instance, I do a lot of reading and not so much reading now because I don't really get a chance to sit with a book quite so much, but um, I used to do a lot of reading. I do a lot of video watching and, um, and, and podcast listening when I get a chance to. Normally I'm generating a lot of stuff because what I found was when I, got, when I immersed myself in, in learning for about 10 years when I stopped being a DJ, I saturated myself. So I was like a balloon full of everyone's material. I just had no space for any more material. So I said, right, no more is going in here. And what you find is many of the speakers end up just regurgitating stuff from other people and pretending it's theirs. So it's all, it all goes full circle. I couldn't name a number of people like you go, oh, they're brilliant. No, they're not brilliant. I'll tell you who was brilliant and who they stole it from. I won't mention Ooh. names. So, well, I mean, you name somebody and I'll, I'll tell you exactly who they got it from. But I won't tell you because that's me being <laughs> bitchy. Um, but what you've got is we're a long time dead. And so we have the opportunity to understand a lot about ourselves before it's our end. Now, some people believe that you come back again. Some people say you get reincarnated to come back as an animal. I don't give a shit. When I'm gone, I'm gone. That's it. Will be a, put me in a little jar, drop me in the sea, put me in a garden, put me in, the, I don't know, in a litter box. I don't care. I'll be dead then. I don't care. So between now and then, you have a chance to discover who you really are and come to terms of what makes you happy and what your contribution to the world is. So emotional intelligence is at the heart of a lot of that. You have to understand how things work in you and who you are and how you feel all about yourself. Then you understand who it is you want to reach over there. And then you've got to understand how to translate what's inside you to them in a way that they will get the reaction that you truly want. That's what emotional intelligence and empathy is really all about. So you can't do that unless you're able to look in a mirror. And if I look in a mirror, I go, right, there's a, a little wobbly fat bloke who's, you know, maybe he, he shouldn't be wearing the clothes he's wearing because he's a little bit old. He really needs to get his dreads done because it may look a bit raggy. Um, but he's got a smile and he's pretty genuine. And if it was my last day today, I could go, yeah, it's been great. And that's the honest truth. I keep myself afloat. I keep myself going into battle every day and I work my ass off for my family. I want them to have as best a life as they can do while there's breath within me. For me, personally, I'm done. I'm happy. I'm enjoying the adventure. I'm, I, you know, I want more of it. I'm enjoying this particular direction I'm going in. I've got some really sexy, incredibly exciting projects I'm working on. But I could have turned around to any project like 20 years ago, 30 years ago, winning Blind Date, this TV show, and gone, you know what? That's it. I've hit my, I've hit my limit. Nobody's going to recognize me better than that. And they say I've peaked. But I think my journey becomes more interesting now because I feel like I'm just winning extra time all the time. And so I don't care apart from the fact I enjoy doing stuff and I don't do stuff that I don't enjoy. So if somebody says to me, for instance, meeting for a coffee, 
I don't meet people for coffee. I don't. We're having a chat now, and that's great. I mean, we're going to have it. We're, we're going to have this podcast done. But people, like for instance, here's the thing: you must get this. People say to you, "Can we have? A, can we meet for a coffee? I'd love to pick your brains." And if you say yes, what happens is this: first of all, they'll get a lot of free therapy and coaching out of you. They may or may not pay for the coffee or the lunch, and you can pay for it yourself. You're just letting them buy it out of, out of this sense of, okay, there's some kind of equal thing going on. But you know, think about what you would charge. I don't know what you charge for the therapy with them. Say it's 2,000 dirhams, 5,000 dirhams. Is that what the lunch is that they got you? Did they pay that much money? No, they did not. But what happens is you will sit with them and they'll make a load of notes, whether it's written down notes or it's mental notes, a load of different stuff that you'll give them for free. And then what you're hoping is they'll then turn around and say, that's amazing. You know what? Could you help me? I'd like you to work with me. But what actually happens is you've now revealed all your secrets. You've given them a roadmap and a diagnosis. So if they really do need help, they're going to go to one of your competitors who's cheaper. They're going to go to that competitor who's cheaper and they're going to say, I now know what the issue is. Can you help me with this, this, and this? And your competitor is going to go, I don't know what you're talking about. What do you mean? And we'll explain your methodology. So now your competition is getting your money. Your competition understands your methodology. And your competition has a client who's going to turn away and say, look, I've just been working with that person, your competition. They're really good. So why would you meet them for free? I love that. Like when I go speechless means I really love what I'm listening because I know but you, you must feel the same. You get it all the time. And the big challenge is because we don't because we don't build things for people. I don't make, you know, this pot. Exactly. I make pots by them. Adding value and helping people. But what you just said is something that is really happening uh, recently a lot. So a lot. So you're gonna say no and you're gonna say, look, I'll give you a special rate. It's like for instance, as an entertainer, I know that if I'm working if somebody brings me and says, Dave, can you work at our gig? I'll say, no worries. How much uh, what's your what's your maximum affordable investment? That's a phrase for what your budget is. If you say budget, they say ooh, if you say investment, they go, ooh, and they start and they think differently. But often they'll turn around and say it's for charity, expecting me to say I'll do it for free. And I remember years ago when I worked on the radio in the UK and I was asked to do this big charity event at a nightclub that was going to be received by, by a lot of people. It's going to be packed out, 2,000 people. Dave, can you MC it? So I spoke to an old friend of mine, Alan Wright, who's a, a very distinguished award-winning speaker who was on the radio at the same time as I was. I said, Alan, we've got this gig coming up in a couple of days. Um, I don't know whether to do it or not because I've got no budget. What do you think? He says, don't do it. I went, what? He said, don't do it. I said, well, why? It's for a very good cause. He said, did you choose a cause or did they choose a cause? I said, well, you know, their cause, it came to me. He said, let me put into perspective exactly what's going to happen here. You're going to go to this nightclub. Are the doormen working for free? Is the managers working for free? The barman's working for free? No, no, that's their job. Okay, so you're going to work for free. What about all the guys that are going to be organizing this event? Is that their day job to organize the event or are they doing it because it's their charity event? Well, we've got day jobs. That's how they get paid. Well, this is how you get paid. So what's going to happen is you're going to go. You're going to do this for free. Everyone's going to love you and say thank you. They're going to get paid for their time. You won't have anything from that event to pay the bills. And you're going to do it because the word's going to spread. Oh, get Dave Crane. He's really good. And he does it for free for charity. Really? Yeah, we'll get David. And eventually you'll turn around and say, no, I'm not doing it for free anymore because I need to get paid. Look at what value I'm giving you. And they'll go, oh, he's changed. I wonder what will get into him. He used to be such a nice guy. He used to care. And now he doesn't care anymore. And so instantly you become the bad guy having been such a good guy. So I found a business model years later that works much better for that. If somebody approaches me with a charity, I've got my own charity. I will tell you that I will work with dogs and children. Aww. So if there's dogs and children, I'll do that. Anything else? No. But here's the thing. If they're getting me in because they want me to host an event or do a hypnosis show or something, they're getting me in because they know their tickets will be bigger sell sales by getting me in because people either like me or it will be a really good professionally run event. So we're going to credit. So I say to them, here's what the fact is. I will do it for 50% 50 of the money. Pay me half my fee and I'll donate the rest of it to charity. So that way I win and you win. What do you think? Sometimes I go, ooh, I say, okay, here's another way. If you can't afford me up front, then why don't we go 50% on the tickets? 
You don't have to put any money up. I'll take 50% of the takings. You take 50% of the takings. If we get as busy as we can do, and I'll push and sell it as much as we can do, we both win. So basically, now, you're setting boundaries. I have to. Yeah. If I don't do that, then I end up with a situation, like especially now with COVID, the amount of people have called me, and they don't call me anymore, I can tell you this, saying, Dave, we've got an event. Can you do it? And I'm like, yeah, okay, no problem. And I say, but there's no money in it. I said, well, why do you think I would do it? Well, because, you know, um, we really want to get back in the market. It's been a really hard year. I said, do you think it's been easy for an entertainer? My landlord doesn't take a good person as a check. Yeah. So here's what I suggest you do, because you're not going to come back to me. You're going to go to somebody else and somebody else and somebody else until you get something to work for free. But think about those people. They've got bills to pay. And it's a massive disrespect for you to turn around and ask me or anybody else to work for free. And if you're working for free, then you're, you're, you're daft. And I offend people by saying it. But the reason I do it is because I'm 53. If I don't take that stand... And I go, yeah, I'll do it for free. Then not only am I making it difficult for the next generation, I'm leaving a standard of zero. If you work for free, how can you then go back to the same person and ask to be paid? Because they never do it. What we'll do to you is say, look, can you do this for free? We'll pay you next time. And they never come back. They go to somebody else for free and somebody else for free. And this is just experience. I've been around for a very long time. Pay me some gesture. 100%. And then I'll give you more value than you could ever imagine. And like, here we are, we're having a chat. Even in the time that we've been speaking, maybe what, I mean, we're talking for quite a while now. Did you feel that I've given value in our conversation? Of course. So that's what I do in my entertainment. I give the very best I can with every performance. So pay me what I'm due or don't waste my time. Because if, here's the thing about it. I would rather be, if you're not going to pay me, what you pay me is to stop me being where I really want to be, which is with my family. My favorite place in the world is sitting there with my wife, my daughter, watching a Disney movie with my dogs chilling out, ordering, I don't know. No, that's, that's really a very important thing you just highlighted because you are Dave Crane at the end of the day. So let's face it. Uh, a lot of people can't afford you and can't pay you for your uh, services. And a lot of people just want to take you for granted or the other few who can't. But for men who are in the business industry and are trying to build up their career level, they, they also face these kind of situations. And we hear them a lot. Like, Agreed. yeah, see this one for free. I'll connect it to someone else. And then they end up with piled up bills and um, expenses, which leads to depression, which leads to some sometimes really extreme measures. So, it depends. It depends. I'll give you my thoughts on that. It's, know, part, of your, know, it's part of your learning curve and it's part of your apprenticeship to get to where you need to be. We've all done it. For me, what I'm really interested to know is that how does it affect a man's well-being? Like for you as a provider, as a family man, how does the stress of all of that affect you? How much stress do you, do you, do you, not basically you now, but how much stress does a man go through to be all of that, to make sure that he gets money on the table so he can provide for his family or to provide a good lifestyle? Every day. Every single day from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, there's a little alarm bell going off and there's a little time I go tick, 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 tick. And it's checking, are you doing a little bit more than you did yesterday to get your family to the safety zone all the time. But I don't think I'm alone in that. I don't think my wife isn't going through that. She goes through it the same as I do. And I mean, whether that is my particular diagnosis of my thing, my daughter will be going through the same thing saying, can I get this game finished in time? Or can I design this, this, this cartoon before it's time for bed? We've all got our own stuff going on. My dogs are hungry when they're hungry. Now they've eaten, they want to get attention. And then when they get attention, we'll be left alone to sleep. We've all got our own little timers and stuff going on. But here's the thing. I only think we ever get what we can cope with. I don't think life gives us what we're not capable of dealing with. So if you're not capable of dealing with the shit you're getting in your life, ask yourself better questions and get some help because you can do it and everyone can do it. And that's why you're not so busy because people are coming to you and saying, help me. And you obviously do a great job. Thank you. But that's the thing. Not everyone is asking for help. This is why I feel that there's this gap between, like, like you said it earlier, People know what they should do, but they're not doing it. So well, I don't know. I don't think they do know what they should do. 
I think that it's it's being in a pinball machine and you're bouncing around and it's so busy, sometimes you don't get a chance to see what's going on. It's like, for instance, I sack clients. I just say, I don't want to work with you anymore because I don't have the same values as you. Or last time I had a really bad experience, I really don't want to do it again. They say, no, this will be different. I say, no, you know what? I've got better things to do. I wish you the best of luck, but this is right for me. And I walk away. And I've only learned that because I've done it. And I, and I know that I can sleep better just saying no. Now, don't get me wrong. When I've got my family to feed, if I won't turn down money. But at the same time, if I've got plenty of it, I'm not going to do stuff that morally makes me feel like I've sold myself out. So I walked away from radio. I mean, when I was on radio, I was pretty well known and I could get in free everywhere. I was being recognized everywhere. I walked away because everything in it just said, this is a crap job. I'm surrounded by idiots. The industry is run by these selfish, small-minded people. And also at the same time, it's losing a battle against the advertising agencies and the billboards. This is pre-internet um, because you're so busy chasing your own tail, you don't realize it, but the big money is going on, on, on billboard advertising and magazine and advertising. Did that take a toll on you, David? Only until I left. And I walked away. And when I walked away, I stopped being famous anymore. I stopped being recognized. And people were saying to me, why would you do that? You must be ridiculous. But here's the thing. When you're in a relationship and a relationship is so empty and it feels toxic, you have to walk. And there comes a time, even in the sexiest of jobs, when you just go, you know what? I don't need this anymore. It's amazing how many big celebrities have made that decision. Cameron Diaz. Cameron Diaz. She's just turned around and just said, you know what? I I don't like being a celebrity anymore. It takes ages to make a movie. I never see my, my family, my kids. I'm much, I don't know what she does now. She makes jam or something. But she's got this other thing that she does now. And there's a number of key actors. You know, one of the ones that I respect most of all. Sorry? Jim Carrey. Jim Carrey. Well, Jim Carrey's still in the spotlight. I mean, he's, I don't think he's gone completely, but he's certainly stepped away from a lot because he's on Saturday Night Live playing jo Joe Biden. So he's still doing stuff. But do you remember Rick... Rick Moranis. Do you ever know who Rick Moranis is? Rick Moranis. Time. <laughs> Rick Moranis was in the Ghostbusters movies okay. in Baby I, I um I Shrunk the Kids. Oh, He's this little guy I, with glasses. Okay. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Little guy. I know him. His wife died of cancer. And he made a decision: I will look after my kids. I will not go away and make movies. I will make my kids instead. And he was asked to be in that last Ghostbusters movie, and he turned it down. Could he have done the money? 100%. What's he going to do for a living without making movies? And it's going to get him that money. But he walked away from Hollywood because his kids were more important. Michelle Pfeiffer did the same thing. Yeah. Now, Michelle Pfeiffer also married one of the richest producers in TV, David Kelly. So she was doing, she was doing okay anyway. But she walked away from, from her own career. People are more cautious or conscious to choose their well-being over any materialistic thing. So this is why I work with CEOs and managing directors and really senior people because they have everything. They've, they have everything. They have the success, the fame, the money, uh, everything, but they still feel lonely. They still feel something is missing. They still feel that there's a hole inside, it, inside them. So this is why I work with them, because I do believe that sometimes we get lost around thing, definition of success, for example. We were told that the more you have money, the more successful you are. The higher your position in a company, the more respected you are in a society, which is really wrong because you create your own definitions. Um, I don't know if you agree with that. Um, well, I think that's the world we're in. And this is a 21st century definition and probably a 20th century definition of everything. I mean, if you go back years and years ago before money became a currency as it was, people had different stuff. I remember seeing an interview with the richest man in the UK at the time. I can't remember what his name is, the Asian guy. And he was saying, the thing about me is I'm one of the richest people in the world, billionaire. I can only drive one car at a time. I can have three meals a day. I sleep in one bed. Okay, there might be the highest quality bed. It feels like you're floating on there. Must be a top of the range car. And I've got beautiful homes everywhere. But I can only sleep in one at any given time. But meanwhile, to keep this empire afloat, 
I've got to look after all my management, all my staff. I've got to make sure that everybody's okay. I've got to keep everybody in a job, make sure that the company's going in the right direction. And I work my butt off to be in that position. Whereas if you were one of my managers, you don't have that same responsibility. You just need to do the job you're being paid for. So I think we've got this. I mean, don't give Here's the thing about money. Money is an energy. And it's, it's, it's a way of getting stuff. When you don't have money, that's when you bitch about money. When you do have money, then you realize it's a combination of things that makes you happy. But money does make you happy. Why? Because you don't spend all your time worried about getting money. Yeah, true. That's why when you turn to me, when you're saying that, the reason I work with all these CEOs and big decision makers is because they've got a hole. It's also because they've got a hole full of money. Because when they go higher up the food chain, they'll pay you more for something that's really important to them because they can't buy that. They need specialist help. And it makes a better business model to be able to do that. Because, I mean, did I tell you what the formula is for being paid before? Did I tell you this? Hmm. Well, okay, here's a question for you. Another question for you. What's the formula for being paid? Why do you get paid what you get paid? This. Right. Nobody hires you because you're you. Nobody hires you because you're good looking and you're connected and you none of that stuff. They don't care. That's just that's just window dressing. It's for two factors. Two things. First one, the effect of a job you do. And the second thing is how cheaply can they replace you with somebody else? That's it. Wow. So you do a great job, which is why they pay the money, but if they could get if your competition came in, could do the same job as you for half the price, then you've got problems. That's why if you go to, a, 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 let's say, a, um, a coffee shop, and we've got this incredible waiter comes over and, and says to you, Ray, good to see you. We've got your cappuccino ready. Please grab your normal seat. I've kept it for you, and I'll go and get you a newspaper. And you're like, oh, I love this place. And when you get your coffee, it's like 50 dirhams, stupidly expensive, but you know what? You get treated so well when you go there. That's worth going for. But here's the problem. That same waiter is being paid a crappy waiter's wage. I don't mean it disrespect to waiters because he's a waiter. So it might be a brilliant waiter, but they might turn around and say, you know what? Let's just get somebody else in. If they get rid of him or he leaves, which is more likely he's going to lead to a better job. In all honesty. Sorry, say again? I will follow the waiter. Wherever he goes, I go. (laughs) Well, depends what he gets a job doing as to whether you follow him or not. I suppose is a men's toilet no, attendant. You're not going to go in there and say hi. No, what I'm trying to say is that he's doing a very good job and people buy from people. So that's another topic. But I do believe that people work with people they like and they feel comfortable with. That's true. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. But let's go back to your waiter. They can replace him with a crappy waiter who gets paid the same money and gives you terrible service, drops cups all over the place. But that's what a waiter does. Because he's not being paid what he's really worth. He's being paid for his job description. So that's the key to make incredible value and be as unique as you can. So when you say, you know, you're Dave Crane, that's my job description. And as soon as I get close to being in my job description, I've got to keep moving the goalposts. It's not good enough being great as a, as a coach or a speaker, especially when nobody's speaking. I'm not going to be a broadcaster, a virtual broadcaster. And the therapy and all the other stuff I can do, that's of no interest right now, or it might contribute to who I am. So you've got to keep moving, getting out of the comfort zone and keep evolving yourself as you go. So that's the simple answer for why you get paid, what you get paid. But being happier in your own skin is very important. So, So knowing who you are, knowing what you do and knowing who you do it for is the key. I mean, you, you're aware of the hedgehog concept? You know about the hedgehog concept? Okay, hedgehog concept put together by Jim Collins from his books, Good to Great and Built to Last. He's basically looked at what makes a, a company successful for 100 years. And basically, to cut it down to a, a short story, you become like a hedgehog, which is this very boring rodent that lives in people's gardens like a porcupine, which when it gets into danger, puts its spikes on the outside and nothing can naturally get at it because it's very good at defending itself. So therefore, what you need to do is what you do naturally so you can't be got up by anybody. And the way this works is three circles. I'm trying to see how to do it with three circles. So we get these three, one, two, and I'm going to juggle here, but I won't juggle. These actually have noises built into them, so I won't press them all. Oh, my God. (laughs) So Okay. 
These three things here, which have all got noises on them, right? They, imagine a Venn diagram, but instead they all interlock. They all uh, lead into each other. Thank you. So first one is what are you at the best in the world at doing? What could, could you feasibly say I'm brilliant at doing? Second circle is what are you passionate about doing? So you can do every day and never get bored about. And the third thing is what will people pay you for? So when you've got what you're brilliant at, interlocked with what you're passionate about, interlocked with what people will pay you for, and the three circles in the center is your hedgehog. Now, if that's what you do for a living, and that's what you should be doing for a living, you should never get bored. You should never undersell yourself. And you should never feel that my life is worth nothing because you know what your life is worth because you're doing what you love, you're doing what you're brilliant at, and people are paying you for. If you find people who do only two of those, like for instance, if you're brilliant at something, it pays really well, and you hate it, then you need to talk to somebody. And that sounds like a lot of the people that you're talking to who've done really well, but their heart's not in it anymore. That's only two sides of that hedgehog. Dave, my... um... My last question for you today is that if you were able to give your old, younger self an advice, let's yeah. say the 20-year-old Dave, what would you say to him? Tell everybody, today. tell everybody to kiss your ass faster. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> oh, my God. Just oh tell them to kiss God. it. Don't put, up, don't put up with so much crap. Just tell them to kiss it and walk off. I love that. <laughs> Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, look how much time we spend dealing with crap from people. And we, we sit there and we go, you know what? Maybe you're right. And we start doubting ourselves and go, maybe they are right. Stay in crappy jobs, crappy relationships, crappy places. And eventually you split from whatever that thing is. And you look back and go, why did it take me so long to understand that? Yeah. When I get toxic people in my life, I just go goodbye. I know people who I feel, who, who invite me out all the time. And I say, no, I'm not going. I say, well, why? I say, because I'm busy painting my sandals. I don't know why. There's no excuse. I just can't do it. And eventually they get the hint. Why? Because I'd rather paint my toenails on my sandals than spend time in a crappy, toxic mm-hmm. relationship with somebody who's not right. I'm, just, I'm not saying I'm better than them. I'm just saying what I want for my life is different. You're protecting your energy and you have every right to do so. I love that. I absolutely love that. Thank you, Dave. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Um, It was such a pleasure having you today. Um, I feel like we have talked about a lot of things and I wish I could just, you know, focus on each one of them and talk about it for hours. But thank you so much. I really hope that you enjoyed it as much as I did. Um, I did. You asked some amazing questions. And I can honestly say I've not been asked those questions before. And I get asked a lot. Thank you. (laughs) But what's the name of your show again? Don't be a man about it. Right. Am I being a man about it or I'm not being a man about it? That's what I was trying to work out. Aha. Now you answer me. (laughs) Well, so the name behind the, the, the show, Dave, is Don't Be a Man About It and Speak Up. Because um, it came from the man up culture, whenever a man feels weak or has the cry. And a lot of my male friends got to bear and tolerate this phrase like man, man up or be a man about it. Especially I remember a friend of mine, he lost his dad. And in the funeral, his relative told him, don't cry, man up and let's go. I was physically hurt, like inside. I was in pain just to to hear 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 him say that. And I was like, you know what? I promise, one day I'm gonna be the voice of all these men like you. And then I lost my dad. And then I was like, you know what? Enough is enough. So don't be a man about it. Speak up. Embrace your vulnerability. Don't be scared of crying, of tears, of weakness, because weakness is strength. I agree with you, and it's it's. It makes a lot of sense to have it like that. I think that for some people in that swimming pool, being the way they are is the best way that they can deal with it. And I have no problem with everybody doing what they're doing, the way they do it, as long as it doesn't bother me and they're not hurting anybody else. Be a man if you want to, but you might find a better way. And 
I think it's down to having an open mind and being open to better ways. That's the bit that's missing. Most people, because of their religions or because of their um, upbringing or because of their community or because of their politics, will not vary from that. For me, I've always been a free spirit because nobody's ever said, Dave, let me put you under my wing and look after you. Nobody's ever done Jack. I'm not saying I've not had friends, I've not had great people and mentors. I've had a couple of them, but by and large, I've had to do it all myself. And so I kind of like it like that and I wouldn't want it any other way. And I think it would be a disadvantage for instance, if I was born a blonde, six-foot, blue-eyed, white guy, because I wouldn't be me. I'd have got the easiest route possible to get to where I would be, and I'd be working in a bank or I'd be, I don't know, something that just for me would be terminal. Being who I am, what I am, is like a gift, but it's not by accident. It's because I worked my tail off to get there. And thank you for being you. My uh, pleasure. And thank you for your time. Uh, thank you again. And I'll see you next time. Anytime. <laughs>